Well, good morning, folks. Nice with you. My name's Craig, in case we haven't met, or if you're like me and you can't remember anybody's names. Um, I am still Craig. <laughs> uh, and it is great to be with you. We're going to be continuing a series that uh, Doug started with us, I guess, a couple weeks ago. Um, but before I begin, there's an announcement that Doug made last week that I need to reiterate to you. Um, and I guess I can move this along. Uh, we want you to know that everyone at Force View a, is an important part of this body. That's, the, that's a big one, right? Uh, critical part of the body. We also want to know that you, to let you know that everyone here is going to be connected with some, some person, some, someone from the leadership team or from a small group that will be uh, connected with you and um, will be in contact with you, with you if they haven't already in the next two weeks. Right. So that's the first one. Someone will contact you in the next week, and they will be your, I guess, official contact person at Forceview. If you have a need or something that you want to reach out, need to connect with questions, they're going to be a great person to, uh, as your sort of first point of call. But you should also know that if you have a specific need that you want to contact the church office about, by all means, you can email Tamara Chafee. Tamara was the one right here, one of the ones with the beautiful voice, right? That was Tamara. Um, contact Tamara Chafee, and uh, uh, she, she'll be happy to connect with you. You can call the office, or you can email. Tamara is our director. Let me see if I get this right. Uh, she is our director of administration, communication, and welcome. <laughs> so she does all that. Uh, when, if you're emailing her, She's part-time with us, so email Paul Miller as well, and we'll make sure that we get back to you as quickly as possible. Okay, does that make sense? All right. And as Doug says at the bottom, you are not a number, but a highly valued sister or brother in Jesus Christ. You're never alone, which is kind of a cool thing. So uh, let me begin by praying. God, we're in your presence this morning, and... Uh, we are open vessels. We want your words to penetrate our hearts. We're not content with being who the world is shaping us to be. We want to be transformed into the image of your dear son. So give us ears to hear. And uh, give me words to speak that come from you. Discard that which is... Um, less than honoring, and would your spirit make the words that are good and true be planted deep for your sake. Amen. So we're in a series we called, simply called Moved. Jesus is a master storyteller, okay? And uh, when he tells these stories, the whole idea isn't just to accumulate more knowledge, more information. We got tons of knowledge of information, more than we can even know what to do with, right? Uh, the goal for Jesus is to actually move us, move us into action. He is the great mover. And these stories, these parables that we're, we're in the midst of uh, listening to are designed to just that. They're, they're designed to get us to sit up and take notice. So the first week, Doug introduced us to the, uh, the, the, the story about the soils, the farmer who plants seeds. And the question was asked, what sort of soil do we want to be? All right, do you remember that? And uh, 
And we said, you know, we recognize we're all sorts of different types of soils, but we want to be people of good soil, people where the word of God can actually grow and dwell and produce rich fruit. And then last week, we heard about this sinful woman uh, and a wealthy socialite and two people who owed a lot of money. (laughs) And we were introduced to the concept of grace and forgiveness in a fresh, different way, a way that hopefully changed us and transformed us. You remember we were at tables, and we actually got to chat with each other about these concepts. It was kind of cool. Well, this week, you're back in rows. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, uh, but we're going to dig in and talk about Luke chapter 10, a story in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. So if you have your Bibles... Turn to that. I will have it on the screen as well, but it's kind of cool just to be able to... Screen is very linear, right? You can only see what's on the screen. When you have your Bibles or, or your phones or whatever, wherever you access the text from, it's great to be able to, to scroll back and forth and make connections yourself. So let me start to read to you from Luke chapter 10, verses 25. It begins like this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Now, if you know anything about Jesus and these stories, whenever you hear the word an expert in the law, it's almost in air quotes, right? It's like a lawyer walks into a bar and you know there's a joke coming, all right? So there's going to be... Sorry, lawyers. (laughs) Love you too. You're an important part of this... Um, But this is the case. A lawyer comes to ask Jesus a question. It's actually kind of a weird context, right? He's the expert in the law, and Jesus is this layperson. Be like me going up to Doug and saying, "Doug, you know, I'm, I'm wondering. I've been I have, I have a question for you, right? Doug, you're the you're the no, sorry, Doug coming up to me and asking. That's the way it goes. Doug coming up to me and asking, you know, Craig, I have a question. No, oh, he's the expert, right? He's he's the expert in the law. So this is kind of uh, um, a strange little start, but we get a twist that. He's here to test Jesus, and we know how that story typically ends. It's not going to end well for the lawyer. (laughs) So it goes on. He says, teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? Hmm. It's actually a pretty good question, right? And so Jesus plays along. (laughs) And he answers a question with a question. We know this lawyer He's in trouble because when Jesus does this, the noose starts to tighten a little bit. Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're the expert. How do you read it? And the lawyer comes back and he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Was actually voice. <laughs> it was actually a, a great answer, right? I mean, we could spend the whole time just sitting on those two verses, those two commandments. Love God with every ounce of your being and love your neighbor as yourself. They're actually the words of Jesus in other places, right? So this lawyer (laughs) is quoting back Jesus to Jesus, summarizing the entire law. They rest on these two. Everything else is commentary. 
Jesus says, good answer. <laughs> You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And you think for the lawyer, if only you could just stop here. <laughs> if you could just stop here, take your kudos and off you go. But he can't. It says, but he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, as a lawyer, this is another pretty good question, a very fair question, because at the time, uh, there was lots of debate going around. Uh, it was kind of like this, who is my neighbor checklist, if you will, all right? Uh, we want to make sure we, we know who's in and who's out. There was, there was pretty good consensus. Everyone agreed that it included the fellow countrymen and a sort of full proselytes, people who had come in and, and were now, maybe they'd been outside the Jewish race, but now they were worshiping um, in, in Jerusalem. And, and, and so uh, pretty, pretty much we said, yeah, those, those are our neighbors. In fact, they, they would even draw on Leviticus and Numbers to substantiate that. Those are our neighbors. But then there were other ones. Pharisees, well, they were inclined to exclude non-Pharisees. So my neighbors, yes, they're people like me, but not so much people who aren't. Uh, the Essenes, who were really kind of purists, radical fundamentalists, if you will, um, whatever you want to call them, uh, they said that you should hate all sons of darkness. Okay? Everyone else was good, but sons of darkness, not neighbors. Um, there's a rabbinical saying that you should push all heretics, informers, and renegades into a ditch and not help them out. So they're not neighbors. Cross them off the list. And uh, there was pretty widespread agreement that you could exclude your enemies. Right? So that's kind of your list. So the lawyer comes with this, this sort of list and says, who's my neighbors? I've heard this and this and this and this. And I'm just wondering, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested in knowing where can I build my wall, right? <laughs> Who can I exclude? Who's in, who's out? That was his question. I, I just need to know. I've got the, the big God thing down. All right, love to go. But the neighbor thing, like, tell me where I can build my wall. Tell me where I can build my fence. So, um... Jesus, not surprisingly, has something to say about this because that is certainly not the way to life. He says, do this and live. That's not the way to life. And so what does he do? He tells a story. Enough with the head games, enough with the, the uh, legal arguments, enough with the definitions of law, who's in, who's out, this sort of exclusion stuff. I'm going to tell you a story, he says. So, in reply, Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, even just that start for this context would perhaps have got some eye rolls because this was a treacherous part of the city. All right? You name the, the bad part of town, it's like saying, there's this man, he was walking through the bad part of town. This was, A, physically hard. It's like 30 kilometers long. And a descent of, um, from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea, really, is where Jericho's located, around three kilometers. So it's a steep descent, winding. You can imagine all the S-curves and things like that. And around every S-curve, -curve, S -curve, there were robbers, bandits, thugs, you name it. Uh, you didn't 
go down there. Well, period, if you could avoid it, but certainly not by yourself. So a man goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And surprise, surprise, he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. You can almost imagine the murmurs. Oh, yeah, my, my brother-in-law, he did that too. He was a robber. It wasn't pretty. I don't know. I don't know. Right? It's just, oh, yeah, I know. That's not the awful part of town. Right? This sort of stuff. They've got lots of buy-in here. So then Jesus goes. He said, well, there was a priest who happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed on the other side. Now, depending on your view of clergy, this may or may not have been a surprise. <laughs> But Jesus has certainly got their attention. He's going after the priests. So too, a Levite, somebody who works in around the temple area, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, before we get too high and mighty, who knows what was behind all this? We don't know. We're not given any clue. The text doesn't say. Maybe they were just in a hurry, Maybe they were afraid of their own safety. Who can blame them? This is a bad part of town. You'd, you know, oftentimes there were this, the people would play possum, right? You'd have somebody lying on the ground. There'd be someone just faking it, someone around the corner ready to pr pounce on you. So it's, 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 it's not a real safe place to be lurking about. Um, or maybe they were just trying to be good Jews. Uh, from a priest's perspective, they were forbidden from touching any dead body. Right? We weren't allowed to. And who can tell if this guy is dead unless you go up to him and bend down and touch him, right? Right? You can't tell. So he looks dead, probably is dead, right? I can't touch him. And, and the Levite, he's not a priest, but um, he's actually... If you touch a dead body, you're unclean for seven days. Now, what's his job? Working in the temple. That's going to be very inconvenient. I mean, you're off work for seven days. You have to go through all these ritual purifications. You can understand why this is not a good scenario. We don't know for sure these guys were heading up the road or down the road, it doesn't say. But for some reason, they passed by. At best, it would have been inconvenient to stop, and at worst, it might have actually offended their principles. Whether they had things to do, laws to follow, or people who were counting on them, they said, no time to stop now. we got to keep moving on. The risk and the inconvenience was just a little bit too great. Now, if you know anything about stories, they happen in threes, right? Usually you have your two bad guys, and then in comes the hero. So Jesus, and you're kind of expecting this if you're listening to the story. So Jesus goes on, and he says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And as soon as the word Samaritan is out of Jesus' mouth, there is like a... You can almost hear an audible gasp, right? Now, when I say the word Samaritan to you, what adjective comes to mind? Samaritan, right? Good Samaritan. There's even hospitals named after it, right? This text, he's not described as good. 
He's just the Samaritan. And let me tell you, absolutely, there was no one in Jesus' audience who would have said, oh, the good Samaritan dropped by. No, good and Samaritan do not go by. In fact, these guys have been feuding ever since there was a civil war back in around, I guess, uh, what would it be, 900 B.C., when the tribes of Israel split and Samaria went one way and Judea went the other. Samaria got kind of uh, assimilated, if you will, and were considered half-breeds. They, were, they weren't ethnically pure like the Judeans, so the Jews would look down at them. More than that, they, would, they were competitors in the religion game. They, Jerusalem, of course, was the temple, but Samaria had put up a temple of its own, and there was rivals. If you think about the woman from Samaria, where do we worship? Right? That was her question. There were two rival religious setups as well. Urgh, hate those Samaritans. And, and then to make matters worse, just 25 years before this is happening, Samaritans had snuck into the temple on Passover at that and had strewn a bunch of dead bones in the courtyard. Now, that doesn't get you all riled up, does it? But it got them all riled up. It only intensified the hatred between the Jews and Samaritans. So when Jesus starts the story saying, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, there is, oh, I don't like where this story is going, right? For true blue Jew, there is no such thing as a good Samaritan. And with that in mind, Jesus continues. And when the Samaritans saw him, oh, our worst fears are coming true. He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Now, chances are he's not carrying bandages with him, right? So he's got to rip his clothing, use his own clothing to, band to bandage this poor man. Again, he's under the same laws that the Levites would be as well. He's unpure. doesn't matter. There's a man in need. Then, he, then the man... Oops, let me go back. Uh, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii. There we go. A denarii, they tell me, is around a day's wage. So two denarii, two, two days' wage, that's a significant amount of money. Um, say it probably would have bought three weeks or so of hotel space, care. Um, hospitals have gone up a little bit. <laughs> uh, So the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Now, the mood in the crowd, pretty uncomfortable, right? This is a pretty significant sacrifice. Inconvenience, overcoming his own holiness principles, if you will. Uh, expense giving up his own donkey to help this man get where he needs to go. It's uncomfortable, and you could hear a pin drop. 
Then Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of Roberts, robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even name the Samaritan, right? That guy, the, the last one, you, you know, him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Drop the mic, exit stage right. All right? That's the way it goes. Now, notice how Jesus changes the question, right? It starts off, who is my neighbor? That's the question that the lawyer wants to answer. Who's in, who's out? Just tell me so I can build my wall and make sure that those people I don't have to associate with. So I know who my neighbor is. Jesus changes it to whom will you be a neighbor? All of a sudden, it's a very different question. It's a statement that involves you as a, as a human being. It's kind of the ultimate anti-Cain statement. Remember, Cain said, uh, after he killed his brother, said, you know, God said, you know, where, where's your brother? Uh, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Right? Jesus, through this parable, says, yes, you are. You are my brother's keeper. Jesus says, you are to be a neighbor to any who are in need, whatever the need, whoever the person, whatever the situation. Who is my neighbor? Wrong question. Who will you be a neighbor to? Hmm. Wow. Do you remember back in September? We talked about Romans and Paul's call. If you were here back with us then. Uh, Paul called us to, you know, in light of God's mercies, to live lives that were consecrated. You know, to, um, in, with eyes wide open, the mercy of God, I beg you, he says, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, your reasonable service. Don't be transformed. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into the, its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That was kind of where we spent some time. And then there were three practices. Hospitality, generosity, and peacemaking. Peacemaking in the sense of shalom bringing, wholeness, healing, health. We are going to be people who are ambassadors of shalom. Do you see those three coming through in this story again? Right? Like, those three themes become such... If we want to say, what kind of church, what kind of people do we want to be? These three themes permeate descriptions of followers of Jesus. We are to be hospitable, generous, and bringers of shalom, just like this Samaritan man was. Hmm. Jesus says, go and do likewise. But I'll be honest with you, these words make me a little uneasy, and I'm still kind of working through them. Um, because if you look around, there is just so much need. In fact, you just look in this room. In fact, you look at the person beside you, right, or in front of you, and there is lots of need, right? Some of it's needs you can see. In our context, oftentimes it's needs you can't see. But if you look from a global perspective, the amount of need is enormous. So... 
my question is, Jesus, how can, in a world that is so global, how can I be a neighbor to everyone? Fair, do you got what I'm saying? Like, fair question? If Jesus wants us to be moved into action and not just a nice little premise, then I think we have to dig down a little deeper because I can see if we take those words as some sort of new law, there's a few things that's going to happen. For a little while, we will become <laughs> condescending, arrogant, and, and, and getting all out there and, and, and saving the world, right? And then after we're completely exhausted and defeated, we become cynical and, so to say, what the, did I give up? Right? So I've been, I've been wrestling a little bit with this one. And... Um, that was when I remembered the other person in the story who never gets talked about. And that's the man at the side of the road. The man who left Jerusalem took that downward path where he was beaten, wounded, and forsaken. And I know this is a little fanciful, but you know who that sounds like? Yeah. Sounds a little like Jesus. And the story told in Philippians 2. You know, descending, becoming human, beaten, forsaken, killed. Or the story that Luke tells a little later where the sun comes to the vineyard and the farmers and the, and, the, and, and the workers gang up and kill him, leaving him beaten and bloodied. And, and that makes me remember something else. The words of Jesus, where he says, Whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the poor, the sick, the prisoner, Whatever you do to these, the least, to the guys on the side of the road, you do to me. Now, I am still working through this stuff big time. Um, and, and so I'm not even sure these thoughts will be completely coherent. So you'll have to keep on working with me through this stuff because it's still, I feel like I'm at the edge of this big, deep ocean, right? that I'm only getting a glimpse into. But it makes me wonder, do you ever think about how this encounter with this man on the side of the road affected the Samaritan? I'll bet you right now that this changed his life. That this would be something that he would remember forever. He'd invested significant amounts into this, right? his encounter with the least of these. And maybe in some strange mystical way, if you believe what Jesus says in Matthew, this sort of encounter even with Christ. So I kind of feel I've had a similar thing happen with me personally um, through a story I shared almost two years ago and one I alluded to um, earlier, I guess, the end of the year, end of 2018 at our New Year's Eve service or whatever you call it. And so Doug asked me if I'd share it again 
for those of you who weren't here. So my apologies if you were, but I think it's a pretty cool story, and it's one that's continuing to shape my, my life, to sort of renew my mind. See, I work downtown Toronto, so I take the train into Union Station and then walk up Bay Street. And as I walk up Bay Street, inevitably, I see a whack of people who are homeless and suffering and the marginalized, right? You can't, you can't help. There are lots of them. And um, so I, I had been going up and down this same route for, I guess, around, uh, oh, two, three months. And as it would go, there was one gentleman in particular that I'd always see, and we'd, I'd nod. I'd sort of smile at him, and he'd smile at me. And anyway, we'd go on our way. Anyway, one day it was bitterly cold, like minus 20-something plus wind chill. Um, and so it was, um, I, I, I again nodded to him. He was there. He was, he was homeless at the time, living on, by the Sheridan Hotel. And um, I, I, I nodded at him like I did always, and he nodded back. And I got like three steps before, and I said, this is stupid. And so I went back and said, you need to get inside. And I gave him some money, and off he goes, right? He said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so anyway, next day, he says, oh, thank you. That was really, really helpful. You sa saved my life, whatever. I, you know, you're a little skeptical at that time. So, uh, and, and, uh, but at least now we've had a little conversation, right? And um, so I, we now don't just nod. We actually have conversations. And I started to ask him, I said, so... Tell me your story. He said, well, I was a First Nations kid. Uh, I was um, uh, foster home, adopted by some, some folks, and I, um, I grew up in Burlington. Burlington, that's, that's crazy. I, I'm from Burlington, I, I said. And so he said, oh, where, whereabouts? And he named the place. He said, just behind St. Mark's School. And I said, isn't that wild? I taught in a school just by St. Mark's School. I taught at Brand Hills. He said, oh, I, I went to Brand Hills. So I'm now looking at this guy and thinking you're like, um, how old are you, and how old am I? I'm doing some quick math. Um, I said, when were you there? And so he tells me, and I said, huh, I think I, I was teaching you, teaching at the time. I said, my name's Mr. Featherstone. Craig Featherstone, I said, Craig, because that's actually my name. Um, <laughs> and he says, Mr. Featherstone, it's Billy Wilson. You taught me a great sex music, right? So it was this oh my goodness, of all the people that God would bring into my life, and I'm pretty convinced that this was more than just a coincidence. You can do what you want with that. Um, we got to know each other. This is the part of the story now that is new. Because for two years now, he meets me every day at the GO train. I get off, he's there. He lives over in Jarvis and Church, so it's probably a 45-minute walk. I get there at, I, I get in there at 7. He's always sitting there waiting. doesn't matter how cold it is, he's there. He's, he's now has a, in some housing over there, which is really cool. Um, great stories around. Uh, he was, he was an um, uh, opiate addict um, and had been on methadone for years. He has, in this last six months or so, has broken free of that, drug-free. Um, it's been a really cool story. It's been a cool time to live through with him. Really cool. But I want to tell you that it has been equally cool and formative, 
I'm going to say even more formative for me. I love this kid. Um, there were times when I thought that he was going to uh, not make it. He had an infection, and I can remember him walking down Bay Street and uh, staggering. And I'd say, please let me take you to the doctors. Please, you know, he wouldn't let me. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to see this guy anymore. It breaks my heart. I love this kid. And, uh, and I know the feeling is mutual. We have developed this cool bond. In this strange, weird way, I feel like I met Christ. At least for me. All right? I, I don't know what you want to do with that. I don't know what you want to do. But there has been this transformative thing that has happened in my life because of this encounter with a man laying half dead at the side of the road. And please, if you're thinking that this is posing me as the good Samaritan, uh, not in your life, right? I passed him numerous times beforehand, and I pass others every single day. But this guy, I stopped, and I got to know, and got to love. Um... Jesus says to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor not as much as you love yourself. I think that's a wrong reading of this verse. Love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. Love your neighbor as someone who is created in the image of God and is loved by God just as you are. By me getting to know Billy <laughs> and seeing in him Christ, someone created by God, loved by God, in the process of being healed by God. I got to learn something about myself as well, that if Christ is there, Christ is also here. Christ is in you. Christ is in the other people that I meet. We talk about God sightings. I want us, well, Jesus says, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. For those who have eyes to see, let them see. I want us to start seeing and believing the activity of Christ in all those around us. Because when Jesus says, go and do likewise, I don't think he is advocating a works gospel. <laughs> I don't think he's saying, just try a little harder. You know, There's another person just around the corner that you can serve. Or just be a little bit nicer. I'm not even sure Jesus was a nice person. <laughs> Instead, I think Jesus is inviting us into the wonderfully surprising world of grace. All right? Let me say that again. I think Jesus is inviting us. When he says, go and do likewise, I think he's inviting us into this wonderfully surprising world of grace. If you love God and love your neighbor, you will discover grace. If you love God and love your neighbor, you will discover yourself as someone who is also loved by God. If you love God and love your neighbor, as Jesus said, you will live in a new, fresh way. That's the inv invitation 
kind of this renewed mind, hospitality, generos generosity, and bearers of shalom. It's a pretty cool story. And it's one that I think I'm continuing to mine over and will be over these next, well, maybe probably next decades, right? With that story in mind, we now come to this table, this communion table. And here's what I think is kind of cool. Jesus holds up bread and said, this is my body broken. Holds up a cup and said, this is my lifeblood shed. Who does that sound like? You see, he comes to us freshly again as the marginalized one. The one who is suffering, hurting, and says, come, participate in my suffering, right? That's the invitation. But there's also this other cool part where Jesus comes as the healer, the, the good Samaritan in the sense of truly good. No one is good but God. He is the one who heals and binds and cares. No matter where you are today, whether you're feeling more like the man beat up on the side of the road or you're he hearing the call to be more of a neighbor, there is something for you here. Christ is meeting you here. A body broken and lifeblood spilled. Remember the one who was wounded at the side of the road, dismissed and disregarded for us. And remember that he did this to bring us life, to make us whole, to bring us home, to restore us to God and to our intended purpose. It's this wonderfully rich gift, gift each week that bandages our wounds and anoints our souls. So we remember and give thanks for the overwhelming love of God, the unthinkable, incomprehensible sacrifice of Jesus, and the healing balm of the Spirit. In just a moment, these are going to be passed. I'm going to ask that you stop and just hold them. Hold these precious gifts in your hands and think. Hear Jesus' words. Go and do likewise. Do this and you will live. And then after we've all had it, the band will come up and play for us. We'll sing. I'm going to stop. We'll pray for these emblems. We'll take these emblems together and uh, give thanks. Let me pray for these right now. Father, we are deeply uh, amazed at your grace and loving kindness, your mercy shown to us. But we also thank you that you are the God who is familiar with suffering, who inhabits the suffering. You are the one who is for the marginalized, for the poor, for the outcast, for the prisons. You, in, you inhabit them in ways that still leave us not quite sure what to do with all that. But we want to be followers of you. We want to be like your son. So we take this bread and this juice into our body and commit ourselves again to you, to your good and healing ways. Transform us, we pray. Thank you. Amen.